But thank you so much for being planted in this place. What a great church. And, of course, uh, Pastor Mike and Beth have been friends for all these years, actually, since uh, uh, we, we knew each other briefly in Rhema many, many years ago. But uh, we're just so honored with what God's done through you all collectively as a congregation. So thank you for being you. Thank you for being planted in this place. Thank you for caring one for another. And, of course, thank you for having a heart for the nations. If you like, when the service is over, there's a little uh, magazine back there. This is Heidi and I. When we started our ministry, we... we uh, Uh, We're married and moved overseas. Our first year of marriage, we lived in Africa and uh, uh, ministered in the Middle East as well. But uh, we came back to America one year later in 1984 and bought an old car for $3,600. We drove around America for six months with a dream in our heart for the nations. And somehow God always had people to put gas in our car and feed us and help us and listen to these two young people just share about the love of the Father. And conveying God's goodness. So we're in business all these years. We're so delighted. And of course, our new Campus Life Center USA, they showed it just briefly in the video. We just dedicated this facility uh, earlier this month of August. And we're just so excited to have a, a campus in America that's reflective of what we do overseas, uh, particularly in Beirut, Lebanon. So uh, again, thank you for, uh, for helping us raise up uh, new leaders and new generations of people who have a heart for the nations. But uh, we're so excited. You know, I was listening briefly to the news before I came to church this morning, and everybody, it seemed like in all the different news talk shows, was talking about ISIS and the Islamic State and all the challenges of the Middle East, and it's absolutely overwhelming. I, I don't know how to really describe it. I don't know how to put it in words, but our ministry is being so impacted by all the chaos and all the calamity of the Middle East. And I'm just so grateful that your church and precious people like you helped us purchase that uh, Middle East Life Center. It's now debt-free to the glory of God. And uh, we're there with a massive campus to reach out to all these Syrian refugees and all these all the chaos uh, that's uh, bringing such turbulence in the hearts and the lives of the Middle Eastern people. And, of course, hundreds and hundreds of people are putting their faith and trust in Jesus, and for that we give them praise. So pray with us. Like I say, our team is uh, overwhelmed. Um, uh, Fear-filled thoughts visit all of us all the time. But thank God the love of God in us delivers us from fear. And that's why I always need to feast on the love of the Father. I, I never tire of it because perfect love cast out fear it's not our perfect love toward god or our perfect love toward others because that's impossible it's us receiving the perfect love of god for us so we can have a reciprocal love to him see i only love him because he loves me hallelujah he loves us perfectly and completely and uh, i like to tell people that all the time no matter where they live no matter what kind of life circumstances they're faced with i like to tell people whether you know it or not Whether you believe it or not, or whether you like it or not, God loves you completely. And I really believe that God sees us through the finished work of the the Son. That's why I love the lyrics of the songs we sang this morning. It ought to refresh your spirit because it puts you in a place to recognize your redeemed innocence. See, Jesus is God's opinion of you. And when you can believe that, it'll change your worldview about you. (laughs) You can begin to enjoy your own company. And then you can begin to look at others through the respective beauty of what Jesus has done. And it builds bridges of uh, camaraderie and fellowship and faith and encouragement one to another. So the will of God can be established in each of our lives. So we're just so excited about what the Lord is doing and sharing this message of God's great love. And I've got something I want to put in your heart this morning that's going to help you. It's going to stir your spirit. It'll give you that goofy look on your face once again about the awe of the love of God. You know, when is the last time you've been astonished about the love of God? When has the treasure of God's love for you absolutely so overwhelmed you? It stuns you to the degree you say to yourself, can this be? Is it possible that the treasure of God's love for me has secured me completely? Is it possible that my identity before the Father has nothing to do with me? Is it possible that my identity before the Father has nothing to do with my qualification? Is it possible that my identity before the Father has to do with the Lamb? Is it possible that faith gets me out of myself and puts me in Him, in Himself? Is it possible that God sees me in the Lamb of God? Is it possible that Jesus 
is God's opinion of me? Is it possible that the righteousness of Jesus is my righteousness? Is it possible that Jesus is my sanctification? Is it possible that the wisdom of Jesus is my possession? When is the last time your heart's been thrilled with the love of the Father? If it's been a while, then I got good news for you today. You're welcome to come to the table. Because the Father wants you to feast on the love of the Lamb. See, you have an invitation to hang out with the Father. You have an invitation to come to the table. Now, most people don't like to get close to God because their worldview Him is not in accordance with the character and person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way, No one knows the Father except the Son and to those to whom He reveals Him to. And if you're seeing the Father outside of the... The, the, the realm of the person of Jesus Christ, you'll have a misunderstanding. You'll, 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 you'll have a wrong worldview of who your father is. And that's why it's always important to see uh, your father uh, through, 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 through Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. The, 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 the term in the scripture is the icon of God. Jesus really is the perfect uh, reflection of who the father is. And that's why you're safe in the death of Jesus. That's why the cross of Jesus Christ, we died with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. And when your faith can take you to a place to believe, such astounding, seemingly madness, the beauty of the love of the Father comes alive to you and you understand you were invited to sit at the table with the Father. And see, this kind of meal is not a meal of condemnation. This type of meal is not a meal of judgment. This isn't the kind of meal to tell you what's wrong with you because you already know. This is the kind of meal to tell you what's right about you. See, nobody likes to be nitpicked. Nobody likes to, you know, have people pile on and, uh, you know, announce all our frailty and our humanity and our limitations. We need an understanding from a loving father of his perspective of us, independent of us, in the Son, so we can awake to our righteous position and then not have the frailty of our humanity, you know, sin. The Bible says when you awake to righteousness, you sin not. And so you're invited to the table. Uh, Sometimes to be invited to a meal can be overwhelming because you don't feel qualified to be there. Or you're sitting with people, you know, that you think are more important than you. You know, you get a little nervous. I remember when I graduated from uh, university, this was 1979. I came to California, moved here from the Midwest. I'm a, just a country boy from Michigan. Uh, but I came here to finish uh, university at Azusa Pacific. I studied communications and business. But uh, the Lord Jesus worked on my heart and called me to preach the gospel the spring of that year, 1979. My first job was with a, a mission organization in Pasadena, California. I'll never forget. They paid me $800 a month. And I thought, thank God I have a job. I thought, man, I'm really making it good. You know, I I can pay for my little Ford Fiesta car payment. I can eat, drink, you know, and and be married. You know, it's wonderful. But anyway, I was in charge of church relations. Think of that. They put a novice like me who absolutely knew nothing in charge of working with all these uh, denominational churches like Episcopalian, you know, uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, all across the country. And uh, I would work with these African leaders. They'd come to America. And we'd, I'd go to these big headquarter buildings in, in Tennessee, I remember, in New York City and all, all these places. And, you know, stand there as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old kid, whatever I was, you know, like, like I knew something. I absolutely was such a novice. I didn't know, I didn't know nothing. But somehow the grace of God covered me. And uh, I'll never forget the, the executive director of the organization he, he, he always had a way in his personality type always to absolutely kind of take you down a notch or two before he could say something good. He's the kind of guy that always had to, had to demean you before he could lift you. And so I never really enjoyed having a meeting with a, the, the precious brother. And I'll never forget the time, <laughs> the, the time he invited me to lunch, a private lunch at a restaurant. I was a nervous wreck the night before. I thought, man, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to starve. What's going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a bad minister. I'm not I'm bad in the ministry or whatever. You know, you know how you create worldviews based on fear. 
But uh, the Lord had mercy on me that day. But you know, this is people's worldview about the Father, the Heavenly Father. That they don't want to come close. Because they know they're so frail. But the Father is going to spread a feast for you of the love of the Lamb. The love of the Lamb is your nourishment, it's your strength, it's the goodness of God, it's your position before the Father. And the more you eat, the more you're merry. The more you eat, the more you're thrilled. The more you digest the goodness of God, you're astonished at your position before him and the way you can see others now through the love of the Lamb. It motivates you and moves you. The treasure always does that. The treasure of God's love is the trigger that keeps you moving forward in faith and experiencing the fullness of of what he has. You know, you have an invitation. Jesus said it this way in Revelation 3:20, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens or hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him. I will I will I I will come into him and dine with him. And he with me. You know, really the Father doesn't need much from you except your cooperation. Cooperation is simply faith. The, 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 your, your, your position, your, your acceptance, your, your victories in your life, it just takes cooperation. It just takes the astonishing voice of the Lord ringing in your spirit to a degree that you just say, wow, cool, come on in. And Jesus said, I'll be there. I'm going to dine with you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to thrill you with myself. Jesus gave the same invitation in uh, John 21. This is after he was raised from the dead. In verse 12, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, come and dine. I love that phraseology, come and dine. Nobody dared to ask who he was. They knew it was the Lord, the scripture says. But, but, but I, I want you to think for a few moments this morning about the father himself saying, hey, come on, sit have a place at the table. You're qualified to be here. And it's got nothing to do with you. You're qualified through the work of another. I think a lot of times the reason we, we uh, so disengage ourselves from this kind of astonishing welcome is because, because we're so addicted to ourselves. We live in a culture where you have to be addicted to yourself. You know, we live on a, in a merit-based system. So everything in life is based on you. And what you do, and what you put into it. But see, the, the Father's kingdom is not a merit-based system. It's an unmerited-based system. I was thinking about kids uh, going to college. Now, I got a little Facebook thing uh, this week from this young lady that I give out scholarships uh, to kids just helping them in ministry and helping them with their dreams. And so she wrote me and asked if I was going to scholarship her. And I had given my word. You know, my word really, really sometimes is just released out of, you know, kindness at times. But it sometimes always costs me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but that's just always been the way I've operated in missions. Just gone with promptings and invest in dreams and everything. In fact, we're, we're starting this, this week. On Tuesday, we're wiring our first funds and building an orphanage on our campus in the Philippines. On the video, you saw a lot of our campuses around the world in the new campus, Life Center USA. But I gave my word two years ago while, while, while in the Philippines to develop this orphanage. And so I'm, I'm, I'm making good on my... I told my wife the other day, I said, Heidi, sometimes if I can't put my hand over my mouth quick enough, would you please help me? Hallelujah. Just... Because sometimes, uh, you know, your, your generous heart, your generous spirit think, does things. But anyway, back to the whole scholarship thing. You know, there's always merit-based scholarships. So what's it force kids to do? Write about how great they are, right? How much service they've given to the community, this, that, and the other. And all that's wonderful. I'm not against merit-based stuff in our merit-based world. But, you know, in the Father's world, it's different. It's an unmerited-based world based on the work of one. See, your... It's, it's, the, it's the obedience of one that pre-approved you. It's the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, that makes you righteous before the Father. 
It's a beautiful thing if you can free your mind momentarily uh, to, to, to understand the unmerited favor of the love of the Father. It, it gets you at the table. Otherwise, you can't get there. I don't care how many brownie points you have or how highly you think of yourself. Self-righteousness is never good enough. In fact, the scripture says self-righteousness is a stench before the Father. So righteousness can't be based on you. Righteousness has to be based on the Lamb. And the beauty of the love of the Father in Christ, wow, you're at the table based on the love of the Lamb. And now the Father wants to thrill you by feeding you. But what what the Father wants you to feed in terms of the Lamb of God is nothing based on the life of Jesus. He wants to feed you based on the death of Jesus. See, a lot of times when people just know about the life of Jesus, they don't understand that love is not fully demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Love was demonstrated in the death of Jesus. God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. What? Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. And so the demonstration of love that brings the trigger of transformation always happens at the cross. That's why Paul the Apostle, in writing the New Covenant, said, I choose to know nothing except Jesus Christ and and Him crucified. We sang songs about all the precious blood, you know. Wow, it's what we did even in our singing today, we began our feast. That was kind of the appetizers. The thrill of the blood of the Lamb. For the main meal of the, 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 the meteor glory of the living word himself, Jesus. But it's all based on the death of Jesus. I like to say it this way. If you know Jesus just according to his life, you can know that God is good to you. And that's good to know. He heals, he provides. All the stories of Jesus are a picture of who the Father is toward you. When you know Jesus according to his life, you know God is good to you. But when you know Jesus according to his death, you know that you are good to God. See, the vast difference is what transforms you. It's like when I'm preaching in the Middle East, working at our Middle East Life Center, there's a lot of precious, beautiful, wonderful Muslim people that I, our, our, our center's full of them at all of our events and outreaches and conferences and everything. And they, they know the Bible stories wonderfully. But it hasn't brought any transformation until they understand the value of the death. It's the death of the love of the Lord. See, you're safe in the death of Jesus. And this is the beauty of why we have to feast and feed constantly in our mind and renew our mind to the revelation of the cross and announce the reality of it to others as well. And so we feast and feed on Jesus, not just according to his life. That's good, and it's good for you. But when you feed on the death of Jesus... That's good because you know you're good to God through the Lamb of God. Luke 24 says it this way. This is a story where Jesus, after he was raised from the dead and had victory, joined two of the disciples. Remember that on the road to Emmaus? And he said, why are you so troubled? They said, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? And then they began to announce all the troubling experiences of the recent days. Notice they're walking with a troubled mind, not then able to see the Savior in their midst. I really believe when your mind is troubled, you don't understand help is here. When your mind is so filled, it can't let you focus to see the revelation of the one who has your victory. So they're walking with Jesus. He's with them. They look at him but can't see him because their minds are troubled. You know what Jesus did to fix their problem? He preached. But he preached, it says, from the law of Moses, from Psalms, and the prophets, and it says he preached concerning himself. He, he painted pictures of who he was through all the wonderful revelation of the, of the shadows of the past to show I am the substance. You know, that kind of teaching, in fact, this is Jesus' really first new covenant message in the sense it was after the cross and risenness of Jesus. He, he showed how to preach himself through the old system to show a new system. But you know what's interesting to me? It said it warmed their hearts, but it didn't change them. See, a lot of time you can have a goosebump, you can have a religious feeling, and all that's wonderful. I celebrate it all. But it doesn't transform you until you understand the value and the significance constantly in every moment of your life of the death and the risenness of Jesus Christ.
because that's where you're secured before the Father. So you know what Jesus did when his own <laughs> preaching didn't transform? The Bible said it stopped. It says in Luke 24, I have the verses up on the screen, verse 30 and verse 31. It says, now it came to pass, Jesus sat at the table with him. Now we're talking about coming and dining. Jesus fed them his word. And it said, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it, and it gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. Think about that. To fix their way of thinking, Jesus showed them radical love in his death. What did he do? He had communion. He broke bread. And the beautiful thing I love about this is their eyes were open and Jesus split. (laughs) He vanished. Because the joy of the Father is for you to know your acceptance in him and your place at the table just because of the Son. And that is enough. That is enough. And so the beautiful thing is they got it. Light went on. Revelation came forth. And this is what the radical love of God in Christ does for you. It astonishes you. And this is what the love of God in Christ is doing for this old gospel preacher, you know. It's stirring my spirit in such a way. It's propelling me. It's motivating me to go to the hard places on the planet and share a radical message of your acceptance before the Father because of the Lamb. And so people can digest it because you have to swallow it. You know, sometimes there's things on the table that are just hard to swallow. Have you noticed that in life? Uh, I know you're going to have a church... uh, dinner or a come and dine kind of event here coming up soon where people bring plates to pass did i understand the announcements right am i invited i hope so anyway anyway you have have you ever been to like a big family reunion or something and you don't you don't always eat everything that's put before you is that that true because certain things come along you like the presentation you like the aroma the smell it's something you're comfortable with it's a comfort food and let's say it's mashed potatoes and you know you just pile it High and deep, don't you? Oh, my goodness, you just, you just love it, right? And then you pass it on. But then things circle around the table that you're not accustomed to. It's strange. It's weird. It doesn't smell right. It doesn't look good. Let's say it's uh, like a cooked cabbage or something like that. So something comes by and you say, oh, my goodness. You know what you do then? You don't insult the person who brought it, do you? You don't say, oh, this is disgusting, Who could have brought such atrocious food to the gathering? No, you know what you do? You act like a very good professional hypocrite, don't you? And what you do? You say, my plate is full. Oh, shame, shame, shame. And you pass it on. Isn't that true? Because it's something you don't want to swallow. You know what I found about when you sit at the, the father's table? As long as you're in an earth suit. In other words, as long as you're sucking air. As long as you're in the earth arena, the Father will work on you to deliver you from you. And he's going to give you some dishes on the love of the Father that you're going to shake your head and you're going to say, you've got to be kidding me. It's hard to swallow. The radical... See, my thought that I'm good to God because of the Lamb, independent of me, that's hard to swallow because we're all trying to qualify in our worldviews. But the Father wants to have you feast on the love of God in such a way you swallow it and you digest it and it changes your worldview of you. And it shows you the revelation of who He is in you. It shows you the revelation of your redeemed innocence. You come alive with the goodness of God. And so Jesus began to share that, and the only way the disciples got it was by communion. He broke bread. Their eyes were open. Why? The bread broken shows his death, his body broken. The cup is his blood, the blood of the Lamb, which secures you eternally before the Father. And when he broke the bread, their eyes were open. It was the death of Jesus that opened their eyes. See, the death of Jesus is where love is revealed. And that's why in my little life, I, uh, I take communion nearly every day, sometimes a couple of times a day. I do it with my wife. It's the best way I preach to my wife. The best way, men, you preach to your wife is not with words. 
The best way is you serve the Lamb. You know, you don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need to know a lot of Bible verses by heart to be a great spiritual leader. Now, you should grow in the love of God and understanding of Scripture and all these things. But what I'm saying, men, if you want to just just get out the bread, get out the wine, the, 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 the juice, just say, hey, sweetheart, here we go. It's another day. Eat. You're good to God because of the Lamb. Our marriage is secured because of the Lamb. Even though you're discouraged, even though I'm discouraged, we are secure because of the Lamb. Eat and pour the, pour the juice, pour the wine. Say, drink, drink it up and drink it straight up. You eat, you drink, and then you're married. You know why? Because the love of the Father has got you. And that's why if your focus can always be on the death and the risenness of Jesus Christ, everything about your world can change. It's so beautiful of God's love and his commitment to you. The cross proves his commitment. The cross proves he's committed to you. And that's why you have to see Jesus, not just according to his life. You need to see him according to his death. We're to know Jesus not according to his flesh life. We're to know Jesus according to the cross. When you know Jesus according to his death, you know you're good to God. And this is the beautiful thing of changing the way you think sometimes about the lamb. Because for many, many years, even preaching, I would always just study the life of Jesus. And, and I do and preach on all the miracles of Jesus. I still do. But I always incorporate now it, it's, its positioning because of, the, because of the, 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 the finish work. Because that's where the love of God grips you and holds you. Let me show you something that's kind of cool. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are you all glad you're here this morning? Look at this, precious friend. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. The Bible says, Jesus died for all. How many of y'all believe that? Jesus died for all. Everyone, everywhere. That's good. About a third of you. That's great. Uh, <laughs> Jesus died for everyone, everywhere. Can you believe that? Can you believe that everyone, everywhere, including all these radical parts of the world that's just crazy, seemingly into our worldview, crazy, Jesus died for all, everyone, everywhere. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. You know how you know you're really feasting on the, the love of the Lamb? You no longer have an addiction to you. See, if you're living for yourself, you're always going to be in trouble. Because you're just not good enough to fix you. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. You just don't got it in the gene pool. There's a frailty, it's called your humanity, and if you're living under him, it says, uh, we no longer live to ourselves, but we live unto him who died for us and rose again. So again, it puts our mind in the framework of thinking the death and the risenness of Jesus Christ has to anchor our living because that's where we're secured. That's where I'm good to God. It's the only way I'm good to God. So I say hallelujah to it. I feed on it. I drink on it. I say yes to the lamb. It's astonishing because sometimes I'm real acquainted with me and I'm not real fond of myself. How many of you are acquainted with your humanity? Any of you at all? Yeah. So we, we, we live, we live in, in, in an earth suit. The scripture says sins in the flesh. We, 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 we live in an earth suit that frustrates the daylights out of sometimes. And your only victory is to always go back to the cross, recognize your redeemed innocence, and let your, let your world have a cooperating, uh, you know, uh, a corresponding action to the reality of the life of Christ in you. That's our victory. But look at verse 16. Because of the death and risenness of Jesus, it says, therefore, verse 16, because of verse 15, therefore... We, are from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Let's pause. We regard no one according to the flesh. Now, think about this. How do you, how do you know you, usually? Through the flesh. That's why sometimes you're happy with you, sometimes you're depressed with you. How do you know your spouse? Only according to the flesh. That's why sometimes you like her, sometimes you don't like her. Women, that's time, sometimes he loves me, sometimes he loves me. It's always knowing people according to the flesh. How is it that you can be disappointed with your kids or the neighbor or your world? It's only to see people and know people according to the flesh. 
How do, you, how do you feed on the tree of knowledge and good and evil? How do you bring judgment into somebody's life? It's only by knowing somebody according to the flesh. Yet the Bible says because of the death and the risenness of Jesus Christ from now on, we know nobody according to the flesh. We have to see them now, friends, according to their redeemed innocence. That's what we have to announce to them and see them by faith that the cross is sufficient for them and let them take their place at the table by faith and receive the love of the Father. Somebody has to announce the news that they're good to God because of the Lamb. Somebody has to tell them such astonishing news that it's hard for them to swallow. It takes faith to believe it. It takes faith to receive it. But that's the only way a human heart can be transformed because you're just not able to transform yourself based on yourself. I know that's true because you've already tried. You need the love of God in Christ. And that's the thrill. So it says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, in other words, according to his life, yet from now on we know him thus no longer. Think about this, precious friend. The scripture here, Paul the apostle says, he said, you not even know Jesus according to the flesh. You didn't know him according to the cross. You don't know him according to the death. And when you change your worldview and swallow this absolutely thrilling presentation of the love of the Father, then verse 17 kicks in. You know verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed. How, how do you know old things are passed away? Only by knowing somebody according to the redeemed innocence. The redeemed the redeemed, uh, you know, th- that their spirits, you know, created in righteousness and true holiness. It's, it's the only way you can know that you're a new creation is not to know yourself according to the flesh. You know yourself according to the cross, that in his death you died, in his burial you were buried, in his risenness you have risen, and you're seated with him in heavenly places. This is something so beautiful, it brings a thrill. You don't know him Thus, no longer. Look at it. It goes on to say in verse uh, 18 and 19, it talks about that. uh, In fact, I should probably find it in my Bible. Uh, You know, it says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Can you believe that? God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. You know, the only way you can believe that is not to see yourself according to the flesh. That's why, friend, you've got to sit at the table and feed on. You've got to feed on the love of the Lamb. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, the news of God's grace is just, it's, it's just, it's just too good to be true. <laughs> it's, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. The love of the Lamb for you is that astonishing. What Jesus Christ has done, he secures you forever. Now, a lot of times... People, people don't get always too excited about this kind of meal because we still like to be in the equation. We like to be responsible for our salvation. You know what I've learned about my salvation? It's Jesus from start to finish. Hallelujah. He's faithful even when I'm not. Hallelujah. And I tell you what, you know, if, if you're going to try to qualify your position before the Father, <laughs> you're going to have some long nights and you're going to have some bad days because on your best day, is not a good enough day to qualify. You are secured because of the Lamb. Now, here's something kind of interesting. When Jesus would teach and preach like this, it made everybody mad. He, did, he didn't just split the church. He lost the church. Look at it. It says in John's Gospel, chapter 6. John's Gospel, chapter 6. Jesus is teaching one day. He's got this whole massive crowd. He said to them in verse 53, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in your nose. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty strong stuff. Can, can you believe that, you see? Let's just, uh, by way of illustration, let's pretend that I'm Jesus, you're the multitude. I like to play role games, especially when I'm Jesus. Hallelujah. So let's just say I'm Jesus, you're the multitude, and I'm preaching. Uh, Precious friends, unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, you've got nothing. And you're looking at me like, you're nuts. 
You're nuts. I'm going to eat your flesh. I'm going to drink your blood. You're crazy. Think how astonishing. Jesus is talking about his death. Jesus is preaching a message of his purpose in the earth to pre-approve the human race before the Father. So they can say, yes, and amen, so be it unto me. And take a place at the Father's table. It's absolutely astonishing. So he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh, verse 54, and drinks my blood has eternal life. Well, now think about that. That's pretty simple. If you can just sit at the table and swallow it. If you can just feed on the love of the Lamb and say, Jesus, your death, burial, and resurrection got me. If you can just swallow it. The Bible says he's got you. You're secured. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now, that's, that's pretty, pretty powerful. Look at it. It says, and I'll raise him up in the last day. Think about that. Your risenness on that day, just based on feeding. Feeding on the revelation of the love of the Lamb, the goodness of God in Christ that's got you. I'll raise you up on the last day. It goes on to say, for my flesh is food. Maybe, maybe we're malnourished. Maybe sometimes in our Christian walk we seem so feeble and weak because we're malnourished. We're dehydrated. We're not drinking enough of the living water of the Spirit and the life of His blood. What is it? Maybe, maybe we're just feeble. Maybe we don't have a stamina, spiritually speaking, and an awe and an astonishment at times. Maybe, maybe it's because we're not feeding. No wonder we feel weak under pressure. My flesh is food indeed. My blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh, he who drinks my blood abides in me. Think of that. Can, can it be that simple? Can your abiding in Jesus simply be because you've said yes to the Father's love and you sit at the table and you pass the potatoes of his love and you say, you've got to be kidding me. And down some more? Could it be that the love of the Lamb is so unfathomably beyond our imagination? You know, the Bible really teaches it is. The love of God in Christ, the depth, width, length, height, to know, you know, is everywhere. You can't run fast enough to get away from it. You can't hide in your hardened shell of your heart to be immune from it. You can't put yourself in a living hell to be exempt of it. The love of God's hell itself. The love of God in Christ will capture you. The love of God in Christ is like that, that fury. It's a furious, it's a chase to capture you. It's, it's magnificent. But it says if you just feed and feast, you're abiding. You abide in them. Just by saying hallelujah to the Lamb. Glory to God. God loves me completely. I always tell myself that so I I can believe it every new day. God loves me completely. There's no disappointment in the Father concerning me because I'm in the Lamb, I'm in the Son. And I feast and feed. It's the only thing sometimes that keep me, you know, from collapsing under the mental pressure of just life and ministry. The overwhelming circumstances that are like I said, impossible to put words to. But God's love in Christ anchors me. And God's love in Christ is going to anchor you. And all I'm requesting is just sit at the table and, and, and have table banners. If you don't understand it, don't swallow it. Just pass it. The Father will put it to you in a different recipe. He'll get something to you in a way that you understand the astonishing goodness of God. My flesh is food indeed. My blood is drink indeed. Verse 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Isn't that astonishing? You know what I find about the love of God? It changes your worldview of people because if you're not to know people according to the flesh, but according to the cross, it takes judgment out of the equation. A lot of times people always ask me about all the chaos and pain and political worldviews of people in the Middle East. And uh, I always tell them I never shame anybody. 
I never have political fights, discussions, because that's not my assignment. My assignment is to convey their acceptance to the Father. The love of God can change people's, you know, ideologies, whether it's a Middle East radical ideology or whatever ideology people, people embrace. It's only the love of God in Christ that can do that. And so I'm finding for my life and my, my earthly assignments coming into a place to figure out how to convey a radical love that changes your thinking. See, sometimes I think uh, in life, Christian life in particular, we always think that we have the perfect... Um, the perfect worldview or the perfect theology. How many of y'all here have perfect theology? Anybody? Anybody at all? No. Have you noticed that through your life that theology sometimes shifts as you get more light or revelation on something, whether it was like for divine healing or life in the spirit or all kinds of different things, worship, lifting your hand, all kinds of different things. You're changing. You know, when you change the way you think about something, that's the true term of repentance. Repentance really the Greek term is to change your mind. It changes your worldview. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. He's talking about change the way you think and embrace this new way in me. And follow it. Stay close. Cooperate with it. I think of uh, Peter. Remember Peter, the, the, the apostle? He was one of the, you know, the big three. Peter, James, and John. And, uh, oh, you know, Jesus' Jesus's disciples you know, were rascals. You know what I mean? They all, they all had a little edge. They had a little past. They weren't, they weren't perfect in, in any scenario. Peter, you know, just by way of illustration, I mean, he, 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 was, he, he, he never had control of his tongue. Have you noticed? He was a professional cusser. You know what I mean? He could cuss anybody out quick. and He, he, he was just good at it. He had a, just a loose, sharp tongue, and he got angry quick. Any of you ever get a little angry quick? None of you. That's what I like about this church. But, you know... The frailty of his humanity I really, really enjoy because uh, in, in the others, you know, he, he's not the only one that denied Jesus and, and uh, he fled from Jesus. The Bible says they all forsook him and fled. Think of that in Mark's gospel. So Jesus didn't have perfect people in his company. Some ended up like John there at the cross, but at first they, they fled. They all, they all fled. Then, then some kind of lingered back. But Peter, I think about on the day of Pentecost, after the Father restored him in the love of Jesus' presence. Remember, Peter, do you love me? Do you receive my love so you can love me? Jesus restored him. And he talked about feed, feed my sheep. He's talking about have people come to a table and feast on the love of the Lamb. Let people know they're included, not excluded. Let people know they don't qualify, they're pre-approved. Get people to the table and feed them this astonishing acceptance that I've released to you even in your rebellion, even in your flesh failure, even in your cursing mannerisms. Feed the folk. See, the Father will always use imperfect people to share the love of God. Don't ever disqualify yourself because of yourself. That encourages me. Because I'm not perfect. You know, the Bible says, whatever is not a faith is sin. You know how many times fear-filled thoughts just hammer me, overwhelm me? The Lord always delivers me. But I know I'm not perfect. But the love of God in me is. And that's why I can rest secure in what he's done. Do you know, Peter, think about this. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost... About 120 were in the upper room. Remember that? And uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to decree things in other tongues, the Bible says, and others heard them in their own languages. And so Peter stood and preached. How did he get selected? Maybe because he was the most bold or biggest mouth or who knows. But he stood and he preached of the death and the risenness of Jesus Christ. And he said, you can be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. You can be housed in Christ. The Bible said 3,000 people said, yeah, count me in. That sounds cool. I, I, I want, they, were, they were saved. So you would think Peter had perfect theology, but he didn't. He didn't. Peter still was locked in living in a worldview of the first covenant, not the new covenant. The revelation of the new covenant was unfolding, and the only way it could be delivered with a, was with a guy like the Apostle Paul who chose not to know Jesus according to the flesh, 
or according to the opinion of others. He isolated himself for a period of like three years and he got a download from the spirit of grace to bring a revelation of being in Christ. He knew Jesus according to the cross. That's why the new covenant is not based on the life of Jesus. The new covenant is based on the death of Jesus. It's the revelation of the Lamb. Now, Peter didn't get it. In fact, Peter, in his own writings, he says, man, that apostle Paul, the things he said, they're hard to understand. But now the Holy Spirit's nudging him, and the Holy Spirit's keep trying to feed him. Here's the way I like to illustrate it. I believe the Spirit of God had uh, Peter at the table, and the Father's trying to feast him on the love of the Lamb, and yet Peter's just, Peter's just bound to that old system of qualifying based on the flesh, our ability so he couldn't get it. So I believe that uh, if you can't swallow the love of the Father while you're conscious, the Father will feed you a meal when you're unconscious. I've got a biblical pattern to show you. You got time? Let me show you real quick. What time does church get out, by the way? Are you, you, are you all doing okay? Let, let, let me show you something real quick. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 10. I'm having a good time. Are you? Praise, are you ready for a picnic today? What I, what I want to talk about is a heavenly picnic. This is when Peter... Now, some Bible scholars say that Acts 10 is 2 to 10 years after Acts 2. So whether it's 2 years or 10 years, I don't know, but that's what Bible scholars say. In other words, time has passed after Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he can't change his mind concerning humanity based on the Lamb... He's still conditioning humanity based on their flesh, ethnicity, racism, you know, uh, language. So in Christ, there's no Jew nor Greek, bond or free, right? So Jesus is changing the equation. Peter can't get it while he's conscious. So the father said, well, let me make you unconscious. You know the story in Acts 10, right? Peter falls into a trance. He goes from a conscious state to an unconscious state while he's waiting for lunch. So what the father do to Peter while they're making lunch? He sedates Peter and presents to Peter a heavenly picnic, which was a big sheep born, you know, with four corners that came down out of heaven. Huh? You know what it said? Look at it says. Let's, let's read it in the Bible. Acts chapter 10, verse 9, it says, The next day as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray. It was about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. How many of you are hungry right now and are ready for lunch? (laughs) I'm almost there. It's just going to be a couple more minutes. (laughs) I'm getting hungry myself. Look at this. He became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So he goes from conscious to unconscious. He saw heaven open in an object like a great sheet. Bound at four corners. I call it a heavenly picnic. Descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Have you ever said to the Lord, Nah, no way. No way, no, no. No, no way they're good to God. No way. Because you only see people according to the flesh. Not so, Lord. For I've never eaten anything common or unclean. So Peter is making a judgment that everything the Father put on the table, he can't swallow it. It's dirty. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call dirty or common. Think about that. What God has cleansed, you must not call dirty. Now, how, how can you do that? How can you call something clean when you see somebody dirty? By not knowing them according to the flesh, by knowing them according to the cross, the redeemed innocent, saying you announce to people the work of God in Christ that secures everybody. By faith, people step into the love of the Father. So he says, uh, the voice spoke to him again the second time, well, God has cleansed, you must not call, uh, call common. Now, you know the story, how Peter comes up out of this trance. And there's a knock at the door. Who was it? Cornelius. It was Gentiles. Peter was a Jew. Gentiles. You know what Peter had a revelation on? In his unconscious state, the Gentiles are good to God because of the Lamb. He says in his, in his talk with him here in Acts 10, you can read it, he says, in my religion, 
it is unlawful for me to keep company with you. Think about that kind of rigidness. Rigidness. It's unlawful for me to keep company with you. But God has shown me not to call anything unclean. And so what did Peter do? He went to Cornelius' house, met with his, some of his friends and family, shared the love of the Father, and they got saved. They said yes to the love of the Lamb. They, 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 they swallowed it. Hook, line, and sinker, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. It's astonishing. See, can love grip you that way? You know, when, when the heavenly picnic is not about you and I having dietary, you know, restrictions lifted. This vision isn't so you can have a barbecue, you know, uh, pork sandwich for lunch today. You, you have one and enjoy it. I'm sure it's going to be very, very good. But this, this isn't about natural things. It's about the Lamb of God. It's about what Jesus has done to pre-approve everyone everywhere. And they have to hear the news of what God has done for them in Christ so they can receive this great love. Let me tell you one story. Then, then I'm going to... I'm going to stop, but let me, let me just share this. This is Keith Hershey's personal opinion. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to agree with anything. It just passed the plate. I'm just serving some delicacies of the love of the Father. But here's, here's what I've learned in life. God is so good. God is so merciful to reveal to people his love and grace for them, even when we don't recognize it. You know, when I'm in the Middle East, I get so many stories when I'm in Beirut. My goodness, of these Muslim people, radical Muslim people, getting radically saved through visions and dreams and Jesus appearing and all kinds of things. And I sit and I weep. I say, the love of God is far bigger than my judgments of things according to the flesh. See, I'm so trapped in the flesh. I look at everything in the flesh. No wonder we're judgmental people. No wonder we judge ourselves. We know ourselves according to the flesh. We don't know ourselves according to the cross. We've got to change our worldview. What Jesus has cleansed, don't you dare call dirty. Don't you call common. Can, can, can you go there? Can you swallow that? You, you have to do it by faith. But uh, sometimes I think we see people live their lives and they're hardened, they're hurt. They've had addictions, challenges, pain that we don't even know how to describe. You know, people have pain. All, all of us, there's just different elements that none of us understand and it drives people to do crazy things. Many times, the flesh responds very negatively for de- destruction. The enemy of our soul twists our thinking about who we are and it, it makes us hurt ourselves and hurt others. My uh, grandfather, uh, when I was a young boy, he was a tough, tough, tough man. This is back in the Midwest. He was uh, an alcoholic. He was very, very, very hard person. I don't understand the pain of his life as I look back. But if you just knew him according to his flesh, you know, you know what you'd say about him? You'd say, I never knew the Lord. And then if you go to his funeral, you'd say, ah, another one who went to hell. Never saw him go to church. Never saw him know anything about it. Never said hallelujah. We make judgments of people according to the flesh. I'll never forget... My, my grandfather, he was very, very sick. And when I was young, he had his legs uh, amputated. He had two stubs. They lived in a little house, about 800 square feet. My grandpa had a bed, a hospital bed in the living room, the only place it would fit. My grandma had a little kitchen. She would be cooking at the stove and look out through the door into the living room and see him. She could watch him. She cared for him. She was the caregiver. My grandpa made himself a little stick that, you know, as long as the bed, he had a little black and white TV at the end of the bed so he could change the channels. No, no remote control. We had three channels in those days, at least in Michigan. So he would change the channel. You'd never see my grandpa smile. You'd never see joy. You'd just see somebody who's grumpy, somebody's full of pain, 
Somebody just knew himself according to the flesh and didn't like it. But one day after he died, and I remember as a boy, maybe I was 15 or so, I went to his funeral and I'm sure people, you know, that were self-righteous, always looking at people and judging them according to the flesh, I bet there are a lot of conversations. Ah, what a loser. Never, never amounted to everything. Never did anything. Must be a loser. Addictions, troubles, anger, frustration. I bet he's lost eternally. That's people's worldview. People like to judge. My grandma told me a story when I went into the ministry. She said, Keith, she was a very godly woman, just even-keeled, faithful, the love of the Father. She said, let me tell you a story, Keith, that, that I don't share because people don't understand it. But She said, J.D., that, that's what his name was, J.D. One day I was making some soup at the stove. And I would always look out the window or the, the, the door into the dining room to, to see if he's okay. And he was laying there. This is right before he passed. Just days, really, before he passed. Weeks, maybe. She said, all of a sudden, I, I looked out there, and he was sitting up. And his hands were raised. And he said, oh, oh. Oh, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And he laid back down. My grandma says, I believe that God served him something about Jesus that he got, that he understood that he received. Do you believe God's that good? Do you believe God just has to get to somebody while they're conscious? Or do you believe that God is big enough to get to Peter, a kingpin apostle, because he couldn't handle it while he was conscious? He had to get it while he's unconscious. I was just visiting this young man comes to our Live Center USA to some of our little events and things. And there was a gang tragedy. And he was in a coma for a few weeks. And I would go and see him, see his family. I just put my hand on him. I say, you know what, precious friend, don't worry about nothing. Doesn't matter if he's conscious right now. Jesus is feeding him while he's unconscious. I believe the love of God is astonishing. By the way, this this young man just got out of uh, the hospital. He's fine. He's in his right mind just this last week. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. But I tell you what, precious friend, God's love for you is bigger than anything you can imagine. See yourself through the finished work of Jesus. It'll transform you. And I tell you what, if you see your spouse and your kids through the finished work of the Lamb as well, you liked him better too. Especially if you see the visiting preacher through the finished work of the Lamb. Did you all like the word today? Hallelujah. God's good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Put your hands over your heart. Let me pray for you. Father, these are your precious, precious children. Thank you for them. Let their heart be happy. Let them swallow the goodness of God. Let them be thrilled. Let them dine again and again and again and again and again and again and say, you've got to be kidding me. The love of the Lamb is enough. Friend, maybe you're here today. You say, Keith, I'm a visitor. I've never been to a place like this. I've never been presented the gospel like this. I just want to come to the table. I want to receive the love of God. I want to feast in what Jesus has done. All I want to do is give you a chance to just say a simple prayer right where you are. I'm not going to invite you forward or anything like that. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I just want you to be astonished with the love of God. 
I want you to accept your acceptance and identify with Jesus Christ. If you say, Keith, I'd like to pray a prayer, put my faith in Jesus Christ, I want to swallow this, Keith. I want my life fixed. I want to know I have eternal life. I want to know I abide in Him. If that's your heart's desire while your heads are bowed, just raise your hand real quick so I can see it. Would you do that, please? Thank you, my friend. Anybody else? Thank you, my friend. Hallelujah. Let's just all say a simple prayer. Just repeat this after me. Say, Father, this is good news. I receive of your love. I sit at the table. I feed on the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your death, for your burial, for your resurrection. I don't understand it all, but I believe it. I swallow it. Hook, line, and sinker. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is Lord of my life. And I give you praise, Father, in Jesus' name.